Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Happy Friday, Becky. What's up? Hey, John. Good to see you. Thanks for coming back, everybody. We're glad you're here. Yeah, we are so excited. We just got back from the Responsive Nonprofit Summit presented by Virtuous. And guys, we've got like the fullest hearts from that experience. I got to tell you, the people that converged, the topics that were covered, and just the good vibes were so high that we're like, how can we bring this to the podcast? Because you know, there was more than 2,000 people that joined us, but we want to really lift these conversations because the stuff that was talked about, we believe is game changing and meets the moment. And so we're calling this little series called Build Back Better. And we're going to uncover over the next couple of weeks, how to build a better culture, how to build better boards, how to build better storytelling and how to tap into giving circles, which is this really beautiful way that philanthropy and community are converging. This is going to be a rich conversation. If you're sitting there I don't care what seat you are at your nonprofit, the relationship you have with the board can make or break really the culture, the tone setting of the organization. And today we brought together some of the most disruptive leaders. I mean, we got to introduce people, but I want to tone set just for a second about boards. So, I mean, our little company has been in existence for 20 months now. So we've really only lived during pandemic and even if we can say a post-pandemic world. So this conversation is really rooted in what's happening right now. And we really want to elevate the board conversations. And here's some things I want you to be asking yourself and thinking about as we go through these conversations. Do our boards represent a diversity of thought, of background, of individuals. We're talking about cognitive diversity and lived experience. Do they represent the population of people that we are serving within our missions? And the second component to that is, how are we empowering and awakening our board members' passion for our mission? You know, they have other advantages other than financial, and we need to be diving into how can they flex what they have, what they know, the passion that they instill, how do we get that into the mission? So before we do that, we got to introduce these incredible guests. So John, who are we going to start out with? Sabrina, Sabrina Walker Hernandez. Welcome up here. We are so excited to uh, introduce you to Sabrina. She's a dear friend of ours from Edinburgh, Texas, and she is a 25-year coach consultant that works with small nonprofits and to raise not only more money, but really create cohesive cultures within their organizations. And so she is so wise. She is so empathetic. She is the, the sweetest little grandma and hilarious. So we're so excited that you're here. Sabrina, welcome. And we're also excited to have Skylar Badenock on the call. Skylar, he was, he's like the most hospitable person we know. His family welcomed us over to his house for dinner last night. And we were just talking shop and talking about changing the world. And he's on the front lines. He's the CEO of Hope for Haiti. He's on some boards with Build On and even locally here with the Boys and Girls Club in Phoenix, but just an incredible thought leader, an incredible human. So we're excited to have Skylar on the call. 
Oh, our third uh, individual is a rock star, Jasmine Chavez. She's the VP of Innovation, Equity, and Communications over at Hispanics and Philanthropy. And Jasmine is an attorney. She is an online strategist. She knows how to build social justice movements. And the thing that I love so much about you, Jasmine, is you're a dreamer. She is part of the dreamer group that fights for the immigrant rights in this country. And so love so much that you are leading leadership at Hispanics in Philanthropy, and she is the person who's really infusing all of that great equity into the leadership board at Hispanics in Philanthropy. Thanks for being here, Jasmine. And Tammy Tibbetts, last but not least, she is amazing, y'all. She is new mom to baby Owen. We can't wait to meet Owen in person sometime. She is the co-founder and CEO of She's the First, which is this international organization that's all about educating respecting and making sure that girls are heard wherever they're at in the world. She's also the co-author of Impact, which is this book that added to your cart right now. If you're really looking to figure out your own personal impact in your life, how you can really get on a path for that, she has given you the playbook. Kind of want to kick it to you, Sabrina, so we can get started. You know, I want you to share a little bit about your current involvement with boards and give us just a little bit of history um, that you have working with boards. Well, I'm a, I'm a reformer CEO of a Boys and Girls Club um, here in Edinburgh, Texas. So I, I, I know we have another Boys and Girls Club person up here. I still bleed blue, but I ran the organization for 20 years and I, I worked with the boards of directors and I really love boards of directors. I'm, I'm probably a little oddball like that, but I think that boards are truly your force multiplier. And if you um, have the right board members and work with the right people, um, then you can get great things done in your community and have a great impact. So I'm a true advocate of boards. Um, Now, I currently, um, in 2018, I retired and I started a consulting um, firm for um, nonprofits. And really, what I want to do is train people how to fundraise with their board, because the number one thing I hear is my board doesn't do anything or my board doesn't want to do this. And, And I tell people, You know, we make a lot of assumptions about people who come and serve on boards and we think they come with the tools that are needed and oftentimes they don't. And it is our job to help them and to see, um, be strategic and connect things. I'll stop talking so others can share now. I love it, Tammy. I think it looks like your sound's on. You want to go next? Yeah, of course. Sabrina, I love what you said. It's all about having a growth mindset. Um, so I'm Tammy Tibbetts, co-founder and CEO of She's the First, and I have built our board from scratch 12 plus years ago. Um, and our board has had many iterations. It's evolved so much over the last decade, and I'm really proud of the board we have today and very much in love with that board. But trust me, I've, I had to learn the hard way and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, I also serve proudly on the board of trustees of my alma mater, the College of New Jersey. And my very first board seat was when I was 23 years old and New York Women in Communications, a professional organization that was the industry I started my career in as a first generation college graduate here in New York City. They added me to their board as their first young professional member on the board. And that was such an amazing experience for me. And I think why it's so important to um, give young people these opportunities to sit among powerful leaders, um, because that really started my passion for board service. Can you imagine being a 23-year-old board member? Absolutely love that. Jasmine or Skylar, I'm not sure which one of you jump in here, but come on in. 
I will just um, concur that it was really wonderful to have you all over last night for Taco Tuesday and, um, you know, talk a lot about what's going on and what's going on in your world in the nonprofit space. And I'm just so excited to be on this conversation in this conversation. My name is Skylar Badnock. I'm the CEO of Hope for Haiti. I've been with the organization for five years, and um, I am very privileged to have a wonderful board of directors, about 15 uh, board members strong. And and um, I, I love what Sabrina said, and I, I think there's a, there's a lot of value that can be brought to helping boards become better fundraisers. And I would just add on to that and say that we've been really also focused on helping our board uh, learn and gain the skills on how to be better at governance and finance, because those are two areas that are really important for boards. We actually brought in a uh, consultant to train our board on their financial responsibilities um, that they've signed on to. And uh, we found that to be really effective. And so I think there's what, what I love about this conversation is I think it's going to go, it's going to be very comprehensive and, and talk about how boards, you know, we, we communicate, um, how boards fundraise, but also how you cultivate and steward board members as you know the the, the leaders of, of of our organizations. All right. Well, good morning, good afternoon, buenos dias, buenas tardes, depending on where you are in the country. Um, thank you so much for having me. My name is uh, Jasmine Chavez, and I am the vice president of innovation, equity, and communications for Hispanics and philanthropy. Um, we are super lucky because we have an incredible, incredible board. Our board is predominantly Latinx, um, and our staff is actually predominantly Latinx as well. And part of my role is to really make sure that we are building, connecting talent pipelines into board leadership, right? So really looking at the ways in which you're not just practicing inclusion, but what are the ways in which, as Sabrina, I think, mentioned earlier, how are you actually practicing belonging, right? And making sure that as communities of color are coming onto your board, because there's no shortage of talent and leadership and money in our communities to join your board. Um, you're actually creating a space that is beyond welcoming, but it really is rooted in belonging and making room for their expertise, their talent, their connections to rise to the top. Um, so I'm really excited to be here and kind of get the conversation going. Okay. Love that tone setting each of you have done. It is about belonging. And I do think there's a moment in time that we're talking about a new type of board, a modern board that's meeting this moment. We've weathered a lot as a society, as people, and obviously our organizations. And so, Tammy, I want to lead with you to just talk about what is the landscape now? What does a modern fundraising board look like today? Yeah, I'm so glad that you're beginning with this question. And um, the first thing I think about is how boards historically, you know, you would imagine they're old, white, um, and no diversity, people who could write checks. And today, for a board to be progressive and effective and impactful, it's essential that there is a diversity of um, how people self-identify, of the industries they represent, the skills that they have, the resources that they can bring to the table. And yes, you probably do want a couple board members who are values aligned, who can write those big checks and have networks who can do the same. But you should also be thinking about, you know, who is that younger person who can't do that, but really knows how to inform a social media fundraising strategy and maybe can bring an influencer to support the organization. I've seen influencers put a donation sticker up and in 24 hours raise over $10,000 for She's the First, you know, $5 at a time, which is amazing. Or um, in our case at She's the First, we have two girl board members who represent our programs. And while they are not directly involved in um, asking people 
to give money or in donating cash themselves, they are the first ones to say, let me speak at an event and tell people how the work of She's the First has impacted my life. And that's the reason that people ultimately want to support. So there's so many ways um, to get your board members involved in fundraising without them needing to have to write that big check themselves. So the sooner that boards um, can kind of expand the way they think of the profile of a board member to ensure that those who sit on the board, first of all, have what they're offering is aligned with what the nonprofit needs. And it's not just adding people every time someone's job title excites you, but really thinking about who has the lived experience um, that connects authentically with the mission, those people are going to be amazing ambassadors. And just naturally, that's going to bring funding and resources into your organization. Holy smokes, that was fantastic. And I just want to give a little shout out. I mean, talk about modern fundraising boards. I mean, Tammy and she's the first living their values by putting girls on their board, young girls around the world who are giving a rise to their voice, to their bent on this organization. I think of another organization, In a Perfect World Foundation. Not only do they have Quincy Jones, the famed musical producer on there, but they have a ton of young children that are on their board as well because the collective of the voices ensures that representation truly does matter and is lifted. So before we go to our next question, we got this incredible question by Laura in the chat, and I want to pitch it out to our panelists here. And it says, traditionally, we have chosen our board members through our pool of volunteers. Is that a practice we should continue? Who wants to take that one? So, you know, I always say board members that are close to your organization is a good thing, right? Um, And when people question, like, is that a good practice? I say a practice is something that works for you, your organization, and your culture. Just because it works at one organization may not mean that it works at another organization. But if I had a pool of volunteers who fit the criteria of what I needed for my board, whether they were strategic thinkers, visionaries, um, they represented different industries, I would be so happy. I would not be, you know, it would would be like a, a pool that you could pick from. Um, As long as you have a group of volunteers that are diverse, right, you already know they're passionate about your mission because they volunteer the organization. Um, They have diverse working experiences and the background and all those other things. I think it's a good thing. If it is working, um, you don't have to break it, right, just because you found out there's another practice. That's just my opinion. I would love to hear what others have to say. I agree with you, Sabrina. Um, What I might do to add, um, like posting the role at like you would a job description, here's what we expected this board member, and then have the, even the volunteers that you know really well, have them apply for it. Um, And this also, there's sometimes awkward situations where someone really wants to be on your board, but you love having them as a volunteer and you don't really want them to be a board member with you know legal responsibility. If you put them through this process, then it's not all on you and you can kind of show that this is a board decision and here's you know the steps if you want to show you're serious to go through it. But of course, like start with that pool of passionate volunteers you have and let them be the first to apply. I love all of that. If nobody else wants to jump in, I just want to say that we have a term over at We Are For Good for these individuals and we call them rabid fans. 
And sometimes they're not exactly what you would expect in a traditional sense of nonprofit. They're not necessarily your event volunteers coming in. They may not be coming into your office. They could be passionate, rabid fans on social media. They could be doing crowdfunding out on their own. They could have a massive network of influence. I love what you said, Tammy, earlier about you know seeing young professionals that come and just tap their networks for $5 a piece, uniting into 10000 I think the peer-to-peer fundraiser, the crowdfunding is such a booming part of our business that we cannot underestimate. So thank you for those excellent tips. And I want to transition a little bit to talk about the current landscape of what boards look like in our sector. And I think we have a graphic on there. I'm not sure if we can get Noah to pull that up. But we want to talk about, you know, what diversity looks like on boards because they really don't represent and resemble the rest of America. So nonprofit boards by race, 78.6% of nonprofit boards are white, yet the U.S. population is 60.3%. 4.2% of um, our boards are Latino American, while 18.5% is represented in the U.S. population. African American, Population in, um, on our boards, 7.5% versus the 13.4% that represent in our communities. And then Asian Americans represent only 2.6% of nonprofit boards versus the 5.9% here. And this is all U.S. stats. And so sorry if we didn't put a global bent on that for our friends that are tuning in around the world. But to me, that underlines and underscores a problem and some work that we have still to do. So I would love for anybody to talk about how you've seen those sort of deltas really manifest within different organizations, you know, positive or negatively. And maybe Jasmine, I'll kick that to you first. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, I think the numbers really speak for themselves in terms of like how bleak the situation is in terms of diversity on boards Um, and also like going beyond just like race. I mean, you're also looking at making sure that the board is inclusive of various gender identities, right? Transgender, BIPOC, LGBTQ, you know, trans masculine, trans femme, gender neutral, but and also now like neurodiversity, right? And disability. So it is also going beyond what is the way in which you could expand it so that you're actually adding more of like those lived experiences that you're talking about. Um, I think one of the things that it impacts organizations is that you have a very limited scope with 95% of your board is predominantly white. So especially if you're a philanthropic organization, nonprofit organization, and if you're a nonprofit organization serving communities of color, your board should reflect the communities that you serve, because that is going to be able to guide the type of work that, that the community is asking for. And it should be a human centered kind of like approach to your board so that your strategy, um, your fundraising, everything is authentic to what the community needs, right? And so if you don't have that, and I don't say this is all the time, but if you don't have a good balance of that, it it could definitely impact, even as a funder, how we fund organizations. If you are a Latinx serving organization, but your board's all white, we are really gonna question as to why there isn't more Latinos or people of color on your board. I think one of the things that organizations can do, and I highly recommend, um, and I spoke a little bit about this earlier, is before you look at bringing on people of color, like Latinos, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, whatever it is, you really need to do a culture assessment and a climate check of your board. Is this a board that is rooted actually in equity and the same principles that you value in equity and justice? If it isn't, 
people of color that are coming onto the board, and I've experienced this on coming onto boards, it's a very, and it's not openly hostile, um, it's not microaggressions, but there's this term by Reshma Menachem called white body supremacy. It's very real. And it's the way in which white bodies actually impact bodies of culture, brown bodies, black bodies, when we enter physical or even now virtual spaces, right? So for a board to stop or an organization to stop and say, is this a welcoming climate for me to bring on people of color is super critical. And I don't mean, again, nobody's being outright racist. It's none of that, but it is moving beyond allyship and into like an anti-racist framework. Um, so that people of color feel comfortable, they feel seen, and they feel that they can actually contribute to the board, right? I think that's the number one most important thing. I think the second thing um, is take a look at where you are actually pulling your talent from. So there are a lot of leadership talent organizations out there that are pulling Latinx, Black talent, Asian American talent to serve on boards. So, you know, kind of pause for a moment and try to think through where do you need to pull from to be able to pull that type of talent into your board that really represents the communities that you serve, or at least the perspective that you're trying to serve. And then third, be able to provide, not, not everybody has served on a board, right? So like a board 101 or an orientation that just gets them the understanding of like Robert's rules, this is the give get, right? That will go a long way in making sure that they feel fully comfortable in that space so that they can actually like contribute in a real way. Um, those are the top three things that I really tell organizations to focus on because the talents there, um, I think there's a myth that communities of color that we don't give at that level. That's not true. We have money. <laughs> Latinos have money. African-American communities have money, you know, but we're really looking at where are we going to make the best impact and where we're all talents really go further. So. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, are you ready to take your digital engagement to the next level, but kind of feel stuck about where to start? Let us introduce you to Feather. Feather is an amazing tech startup focused on making nonprofit outreach more impactful by connecting you to your audience, wherever they are online. From fundraising to program awareness, they've got you covered. And rather than tell you, we just wanted to show you. For years, the Humane Society of North Central Florida has participated in a local online giving day called The Amazing Give. It's a competitive landscape for donations. So in 2021, the Humane Society knew they needed to stand out in order to maximize donations. For $300 in ad spend, their retargeting ads brought 119 visitors to their Amazing Give donation page and generated nearly $6,000 in donations in just one day. With Feather, a small amount of ad spend can go a long way. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Now let's get back to this amazing conversation. 
I love what you said there. And something is also resonating in my head when we had Anna Marie Arhilagos, who's the CEO of HIP, um, on the podcast. But she challenged us that, you know, we keep coming back to the bravery that it takes to be in leadership that we really have to look at ourselves and say, do I need to give my seat up? You know, is this a position that I'm seeing the inequity here? Is this the right move to actually either add seats and not just one seat, but maybe multiple seats so people can ha- come in together and be more representative? Or do we need to take a hard look to see if someone actually needs to give up their seat to someone else? And so this question's coming through the chat that, what do we do about board terms? You know, what if you have a board that's, you know, been around for a long time? How do you really... <laughs> encourage that? How do you get move people along the line, but actually get some healthy turnover on the board? Would love to kick it to the panel to answer. I'll just jump in there and say, I think board terms are critical to the health of the organization. And we have board terms and we're, we're, we stick to them. Um, and it's, it's allowed, uh, it, it, it's also put a little bit of uh, pressure in, in, in a good way on our board leadership to go out and find new diverse board members. Um, and then one thing I just want to add in, and, and I feel really strongly about this, it's not just about having people of color on your board, but it's definitely about having a diverse board in the, in the executive leadership positions on the board. So, you know, and I, I've seen this firsthand, or the head of our governance and, and nominating committee is, is a Haitian American. And I feel like that's been to our benefit. And he, he's really driven uh, the process with our board leadership, with our executive committee, and bringing on new diverse board members over the last few years. Ooh, love that example. Does anybody else want to jump in on that question? Sabrina? I, I do, because I have a difference of opinion, and I know this is I, this is not a best practice. Um, but I believe in board terms. I absolutely do. Um, the board had one-year, two-year, three-year terms. But I truly feel, and it's been proven, that if people are producing, I think they claim their spot and they deserve to be there and they continue to produce, then they should be allowed to serve. So, for example, the way our bylaws were set up, again, we had one year, two year, three year slot. There was no rolling off. You, if you didn't do good, everybody new came in, you were one year, you didn't do good, we didn't invite you back. If you were a three year slot and you performed, and your term was up and the governance committee wanted to renew your three-year slot, then they did. So I have board members that served for 15 years. That is not the norm. I understand that. But as I, from the seat that I sat in, as long as people were producing and there was organizational history there, um, it was a good thing for my organization. Uh, understanding that 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 is not the norm. So I just wanted to put that out there. There are there are some other things that people do. Sabrina, you know us. We're all about let's have throw all of the spaghetti at the wall. We want to see what sticks. And I just think again, what you all just did right there—that was diversity of thought, di- diversity of experience—and that is why we have to have the bravery to have these conversations. And we've had a lot of board conversations on the podcast, and one of the recurring themes that we've heard from our community is, "Gosh, the power dynamics in nonprofit are so stringent." and we as staff don't feel like we have nearly the power that our boards do. And so, and I can even feel the trepidation probably from people who are on this call, you know, is this is a really heavy topic, but this is the way that the modern world is going. And, you know, especially when I look at Gen Z and their value systems, 
inclusivity is a core value of them. And so we really do, to your point, John, about bravery, need to lean into this. Bravery is a muscle. We just have to keep working it out. And so, Tammy, I want to kick this question to you. For anyone that's listening right now, and they're kind of feeling the angst of, oh my gosh, this is the elephant in the room that I need to address with my board when we're building and moving toward more inclusive boards and we're challenging these systemic norms that have existed within the nonprofit sector. Give give all of our listeners in the community out there um, some tips or some insight about how they can navigate sort of these difficult and tenuous conversations with their board members. Yeah, I think what's really key is reminding yourself that don't just save these conversations for when it's time to have the quarterly board meeting. In fact, don't Whatever you're talking about, you never want surprises to come up in a board meeting. You want to put the time into connecting one-on-one with board members in small groups because then people feel um, less like they're on the spot. They're less defensive. You can have you can call them in. You can say uh, this can I've seen happen a lot um, generationally with older board members who didn't realize the way that they phrased something was actually quite offensive. And um, if that was to be brought up in a meeting with everyone, you know, it would be a case of white fragility. They'd become really defensive and it wouldn't be a meeting that moved the organization forward. Whereas if I had a a side conversation with that person and um, explained why that comment wasn't appropriate and said, you know, Hey, you know, I recently read this book called me and white supremacy. I think you would get a lot of value out of it. Why don't we do a little book club with some of the board members and then bring in a facilitator at our annual board retreat so that we could talk about these challenging, but very critical issues of, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I think that that has always been a strategy that has worked for me is to make people feel comfortable um, when they don't feel like everyone's staring at them and broach those topics in small groups so that when we come together, everyone's in the right mindset and we can, as an entire group, make sure that we're being mindful of, in our case, you know, those student board members. If they're being quiet, are there are the older board members inviting them into the conversation um, and thinking like, how do we make sure everyone is participating in this and look out for who is, who is being quiet. And to what Jasmine said, it's all about, we have to, we can't just look on our website. Like we all have different faces. We have to have a culture of belonging where everyone really feels comfortable speaking up and challenging the organization and its leaders to be better. I'd love to like transition to the inspiration piece because you know, we're all, you know, facing the need to grow our financial resources, to get people activated in fundraising. And that's a big component of most of our boards. What's some practical advice? I mean, as we think about how do we inspire boards to become more fundraisers, I would love to kick it to the group to um, kind of lead this off. What have you seen that's really worked for you? Um, there's a couple of things that we do to activate and inspire our board. And and, and really, the, the, the first thing is about, about really connecting your board to your mission. And I providing them with the resources so that it's very easy for your board members at a dinner party, at a at a conference, within their, you know, at their workplace with their colleagues to be able to say, oh, look at look at what I'm part of. And, and, and here's an example of the impact this organization's making. So, you know, a good example of that right now, we're doing a big 
campaign called the Hike for Haiti. And we're getting our entire board rallied around this idea of walking, hiking 10 miles in solidarity with Haitian school children who often walk really long distances to, to access education. And the, uh, the opportunity for our board is to, to hike, to talk about it, to post, to share. And, and we provide them with this toolkit so that they don't have to do very much work besides walking 10 miles and sharing with their friends. Um, but, but that's making it simple and making it easy and making it inspiring and also connecting it to the mission, I think is, is really important. Last year, our board raised, I think they raised about $36,000 during our hike for Haiti. And, um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a rallying cry for us and it's, and it's an opportunity for our board to engage and, and it's just one thing that we do to, to keep our board activated. I got to give you some props right there, Skylar, because the experiential component of that creates such connectivity. I mean, as chief storyteller, I would be all over talking about what did that mean to you? How did that change your outlook? How did that feel? How did that make you see the mission in action? And I just think about the ripples that can occur with something like that happens because all of a sudden they're not just reporting out on the things that they heard at the board meeting, you know, or, you know, financial goals. We're saying, I went, I went to the front lines. This is what I saw. This is what I learned. This is where I was humbled. And again, the power dynamic shift of that is so empowering. So big props on that. Anybody else want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, I think another part, and I saw a question come through, and it kind of ties back to this in terms of the role of the board in a strategy formulation or strategic planning versus senior staff. And I think that's another way to keep the board really kind of invigorated in the mission of the work is, is invite them to be a part of the strategic planning, not necessarily to lead it, but to be able to inform it. Um, still have your senior staff and or your, you know, your all staff really kind of outline the vision of what the work is. But we have found, at least for our organization, our board is pretty actively involved in terms of helping us frame what our strategic planning or our strategic vision is for the next couple of years. And not because, again, they're going to lead it, but because it helps them feel like they're actually a part of helping us grow this next chapter of our work. And then they have a responsibility to help us ensure that we have the right resources to be able to meet that, right? Um, and then, of course, when we gather for our board convenings, we, we gather around three times a year, we make them fun. So we take them to dinner. We have a great time afterwards. We, we dance. We celebrate. Um, we start every meeting talking about the joy in their personal lives. And we share the joy of how we're doing in the organization. And so it really turns into a very familial type of setting where we're invested in what's happening with them. They're invested in what's happening with us. And they're really informed about what we're doing. And we understand what's happening with them. So also, they're just people too. you know, show them a good time, have a good time, share your stories, build joy together, um, and have them be a part of your strategic vision of the work so that they're also bought in and committed. This is our second panel today, and that's the second time I've heard the word joy come up. And I wonder how many of us are thinking about infusing joy into our work. I mean, we are on the front lines of solving some of the world's largest crises and problems. And we need to constantly remind people of the hope, of the joy that exists in that. So I love that reminder. And Jasmine, we're going to need to see some video proof of the board members dancing because that is amazing. Um, Anyone else want to jump into this before Tammy or Sabrina? Yes, I I just I did want to jump in and I wanted to say just some simple things that you can do is um, make sure your board is equipped. That means educate them. Start off with a good recruitment packet. 
recruitment process, a good orientation, and back to board meetings, making them fun, but not only making them fun, but making them impactful. You know, maybe start your board meeting off with some mission moments. Have clients come in and say how this organization has helped me, whether that's via video or in person or whatever you can do. The second thing you could do for board members um, around fundraising and engaging is make it easy. I heard Skylar say, you know, they, they just have to, po- they just got to walk the 10 miles. He didn't make them think of what to say on social media. He gave them scripts. He's given them a social media post, um, sample, all, all of this, make it easy for them. And then at the end of the day, like Jasmine said, we're all people. We, I serve on several boards. Hold me accountable. I'll say I'll do something. And I'm like, not intentionally, I will forget because I'm pulled in a thousand and one different uh, directions. But if you are a CEO running an organization, call me, (laughs) call me, develop that relationship with me, remind me what I said I was going to do and hold me accountable. There is no, um, there's no power struggle in that sense with your board members. You're there to hold them accountable. They appreciate that. Um, So, you know, so make sure that you are doing those things. Y'all are so wise. And I want to give you the chance because I think you let us into kind of the last question we like to throw to y'all is, you know, each of y'all have served on boards or actively serving on boards. What's really worked to activate you? You know, what is that connective tissue that makes you want to like just jump in and uh, really respond to the needs? So I'll kick it. Skylar, you go first. What's really worked for your personal engagement? To me, it's the personal relationship with the the team and the organization. Um, Obviously the mission is going to be important, but you know, as a, board member of the the boys and girls club of scottsdale here um part of my my um dedication is to the ceo and i really love going out and and meeting with him and learning about his work and and hearing from him i also i mean i mean i learn a ton from him but my my loyalty is there and so to me i think if you can if you can develop those types of relationships with your board members I use a lot of what I've learned from from Ivan at the Boys and Girls Club of Scottsdale with my board and just create those relationships, meet meet your board members for lunch, take them to dinner, um, have those build those relationships because it's going to make, you know, the ask when you say, hey, now I need you to walk 10 miles. It's going to make it a lot easier. They're going to do it because yeah. they like you. Yeah, Bring them to Taco Tuesday, basically, is what you're saying? Always, always. Jasmine, what about you? Um, I mean, I think it's similar to what Skylar was saying. I mean, I'm looking at the mission. Um, I'm also looking at the need, right, in terms of being able to understand that how am I bringing my network, my like people capital to be able to raise awareness around an issue. I just finished serving on Rural Migrant Ministry, which is an organization that supports farm workers in upstate New York. Um, And so for me, it was being able to bring awareness of farm workers around the country, of awareness of the issues that they face, but also fundraising support, not just from philanthropy, but from my own relationships as well. And also on the policy side. So I used to work in New York um, city government. Um, so being able to also bring a political perspective and strategy in terms of how do we move legislation to protect farm workers. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at ways in which, again, my talents can really support the mission and the vision of the board and the organization and the communities that they're trying to advocate for. Oh, I love that. And, and it just feels better when it's that natural, when it's that inclusive. And I feel like we're not having to rage against, you know, the old patriarchy of the way that we have always been building our boards. So, okay, Tammy, what about you? Well, ever since the pandemic, I think it's been a blessing and a curse that our meetings have gone virtual. So on the flip side, on the good positive side, we've been able to um, 
have more regional and global diversity on our board of directors. And um, we meet in, in the mornings on Eastern Standard Time to accommodate um, all the different time zones as best we can. But this does make it tougher um, to form the kind of emotional connections that came from meeting in person so regularly as we did before. So as a result, we really um, keep top of mind, what are the milestone moments where you could really rally people to show up in person? So maybe that's around your annual fundraiser when your organization, if you do global work, invests in bringing um, leaders in from different countries to, to speak. Uh, if your work is more local and in the community, uh, that's easier to get the in-person um, presence. But uh, I find even with staff, you know, if you don't have... Um, girls, women, whoever you serve internationally at where your headquarters are in the United States, um, how can you, as Skylar said, connect your board to the staff members? So we have a, our staff is now remote, but we have a retreat in the beginning of June where we're flying everyone to a retreat center in upstate New York. And before we go, we've sent, already sent an invitation out to our board of directors, especially those who are more clustered around the New York City area to come meet for drinks beforehand. So you can meet the new staff people. We're flying in staff from our Nairobi office as well. Um, and it's something that is, you know, put on the calendar very far in advance so people can plan for it. And they're so excited. So that those are the moments we're going to take advantage of um, to really surprise and delight them and give them an experience that powers their passion for the year ahead. Okay. Tammy, you said something that I don't want anybody to miss. So you've cracked the window on this and I'm throwing it wide open. Staff um, interaction with board is absolutely critical. That is something that we need to be breaking in our cultural norms of not having our staff come in and interface because our staff, whatever their position are, they are in their zones of genius. You know, it is not the executive director's role to explain every single component of the board. And if we can empower staff to go in and teach train, educate the board on what they can do, that is going to also pay dividends and cultural vibrancy. And as a recovering major gift officer myself, I would also say that that is an incredible cultivation tool as well that is going to plant seeds that will germinate later in the future with that donor and that volunteer. Okay, Sabrina, bring us on home. Well, there's so much discussion happening. Um, and my mind was going in 51 different directions. And so I guess in bringing it home, I've, I've served on several boards and I am um, very fortunate right now to be the first black person to serve on the Museum of South Texas History. They never had a black person serve um, before. And it goes kind of takes us back to the beginning. Um, and they purposely recruited me. I'm very happy about that. We're opening up an exhibit called the uh, Southern Otherground Railroad, um, which is going to blow South Texas' mind wide open. But to go back to what they do as a board member, they made it very inclusive. But as a, their CEO report, this is this is the whole point of this conversation. Their CEO report. I never had to do a CEO report when I was a CEO. I was blessed. I, I know that. But he does. But what he does with his CEO report, and it's something I've learned and I'm putting it in my, my toolbox, is he designates 15 minutes for the board, and it's 24 of us, to break up into groups of four and talk. He puts two questions up, two generative questions, which I really like. And then we talk in that 15 minutes time frame and talk about how to answer those questions. And then we come back to the table and report back out. 
And I thought that was genius. And I really like it. Um, so if that's a practice that anybody wants to steal, go right ahead and steal that because I leave those meetings um, invigorated. I really do because my mind is working and I'm and 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 I'm producing with some great people in the room and they make me feel included as well. Mm. So it goes back to that feeling of inclusion. Sabrina, there's going to be so much stealing happening from this conversation and we are here for it. We love each of y'all. We are so sad we're at the top of the time here today, but just as Jasmine said, People are just people. Reach out to the amazing panelists. They have got such great wisdom and insight. We've rounded up all the resources at weareforgood.com slash RNS, and you can get connected to everybody. We've got their LinkedIn profiles, all of that, and notes from today. So thank you so much for being here. This has been such a good discussion. We appreciate each of y'all. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing, if you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.